It changed every day. What were the, do you clean, do you not clean, do you get it from here, do you get it from there? This is something I reminded them. There was not a class on pandemic management <laughs> anywhere. There probably will be one now going forward. If you were alive in 2020, you don't need me to tell you about COVID-19. But the uncertainty we've all faced over the past several years has forced businesses to be uniquely resourceful in order to protect their employees, adapt to new circumstances, and sustain their mission. Today, we're showcasing two businesses that navigated the pandemic incredibly well. The companies themselves are extremely different, but their strategies for taking on COVID have a lot of similarities. Together, we'll cover the keys to managing your business through a crisis, when to act, when to listen, and where to reach out for help. I'm Patrick Pacheco, and you're listening to In Good Companies from Cadence Bank, the podcast where we answer the toughest questions facing your business and guide you through the company lifecycle from start to sale and success to succession. Let's start with Wildwood Electronics. Wildwood is a woman-owned small business that fulfills manufacturing contracts for the Department of Defense and NASA. We were joined by Lori Underwood, Vice President and Director of Finance at Wildwood. She grew up in Huntsville and always knew she'd be working among rockets. It's hard not to end up in this industry being from Huntsville, Alabama. <laughs> it's probably more of a challenge not to be in the industry. I grew up just a couple of miles from Redstone Arsenal. If you ever drive through Huntsville, there's a Saturn V rocket that shadows the interstate that uh, we, we could actually see very close to our neighborhood. So tell us a little bit uh, more about Wildwood. We're actually celebrating 38 years in business. We've been here a while. We are what you call, a, we're an electronics manufacturer, but we're a contract manufacturer. So what that means is our customer, which is typically DOD application or prom contractors, they bring their designs to us and then we manufacture their equipment. On the other end of the spectrum is a very different type of business. Jack Kemp runs Phase 3 Star, a franchiser of fast food chains. So right now we're right around 80 restaurants. We're in Florida, Georgia, and Alabama in two different brands, primarily Hardee's. Jack went to West Point, spent five years in the Army, and then went to Harvard Business School. So how did he get involved in the restaurant industry? The more I looked at it and the more I researched it and the more people I talked to, I realized that franchise restaurants are not the same as you know, your average restaurant. If Jack and Patrick were going to open up a, a rib place, we would probably fail. No offense, you're probably great at it. I, I would fail. <laughs> Not only would we have failed, but I had to weigh about 325 before we failed. But the franchise restaurant model it was a good fit and it, it allowed an owner and operator to focus on building a team, focus on the operations. My idea was that hey, running a franchised fast food restaurant is not dissimilar from being in the army. You know, you got to show up on time in uniform and execute against an operating process. And, you know, I, I did that successfully in the context of the army and I'll be able to do it successfully in the context of a restaurant. Jack's time in the army and business school prepared him for a lot, but not everything. Two weeks after I closed on, on the transaction, I got a call from one of my district managers and like, hey, the biscuit maker at our highest volume restaurant called out this morning. It's five o'clock in the morning. So I got in the car and I drove a little over an hour out to the restaurant in Dundee and I just started making biscuits. And all morning, I just was head down making biscuits. Uh, we got through the morning rush and we got through it. 
And then after that was done, so around sort of nine or nine thirty, the district manager introduced me to the general manager, and she said, "Hey, this is Jack. He's the new owner of the business." And the general manager, who had been very encouraging and supportive, you could just see this wave of relief wash over her face, and she said, "Oh, thank God! I thought he was a new biscuit maker, and I was really worried." <laughs> Wildwood and Phase 3 Star couldn't be more different, but they do have one key thing in common, dedicated Cadence Bankers. Yes, I'm Robert Curtis. I have been with Cadence Bank for nine years. I'm the market executive for North Alabama, and I am a Huntsville native. I'm Dan Holland, executive vice president for Cadence Bank, and I lead and manage our restaurant banking team here at the bank. Robert and Dan have been in the trenches with these businesses for years. And we'll touch on that in a moment, but not even they could have predicted what was coming in 2020. So I remember vividly the day that the shutdown started because my COO and CFO and I were on a plane and we were going to fly out to meet with Hardy's corporate for the day and fly back. And so in the morning, the news is talking about this COVID-19 and it's serious, but nothing has really happened. There's, you know, there's folks talking about potentially shutting down and there was onesie and twosie examples of this event was canceled, but nothing that was sort of out of the normal course. Then we, we get to Nashville and we meet with Hardy's corporate. And of course, we're you know not paying attention to the news. We go back to the airport and I believe... At that point, the NBA had started to cancel some games and we're like, oh, that's a big deal. But that weekend, we at Phase 3 Star were supposed to be doing an event with the players in Jacksonville, which is you know, a big event with the PGA and it's a huge event in Jacksonville and a you know, wonderful uh, charitable opportunity for us. And we're, we were kind of collectively saying there's no way that they're going to cancel the players. Uh, but as we were sitting in the airport, the announcement came through that, hey, the, the players is now not going to have spectators. And that kind of shocked us. But then we got on our planes and we went home. And by the time we landed, the players had been canceled. And then it was like, OK, and now there are orders coming out that restaurants and everything has to be shut down. You know, this is a G-rated podcast. So it, it was an oh golly moment. I looked at my wife and said something to the effect of, well, I guess I'm going bankrupt. I literally thought that that's what was going to happen because, you know, it was unprecedented and we didn't know how long these shutdowns were going to be. We didn't know what was going to come next. Wildwood found out early on that they were going to have a different pandemic experience than most other businesses. We received a letter on March 20th. It was a memo from Ellen Lord, the Undersecretary of Defense. In the memo, it reiterated the president's guidelines. The statement basically was, if you work in a critical infrastructure industry, as defined by the Department of Homeland Security, and we fed in that because we've got, we're manufacturing stuff on several defense systems, you have a special responsibility to maintain your normal work schedule. When we received that, I was sitting with Rebecca Owens, the president of our company. She's the director of operations. We work very close together. Our offices are next door to each other. I looked over her. We both knew after we read that memo, this is a big deal. And we got to get ahead of it with our management team. And we did and just got straight to work. So we there was no option of closing or um, 
We just had to figure out how to keep going. In the first days and weeks of the pandemic lockdowns, the prevailing feeling was uncertainty. There was a lot of conversations because I think like everybody at the very beginning, we weren't sure what was going to happen. And, you know, this one's closing, this one's not, the schools are closing. And, you know, what are we going to do? We didn't know, you know, what was coming down the pipeline. We were just like, we're going to figure this out. Jack also had to react to a constantly changing landscape. Parties had cascaded very quickly, kind of a green, amber, red model for, hey, if your local municipality says this, then then do that for your restaurant. So if they say everything has to be shut down, then obviously that's a red and shut everything down. But if they say restrictions on in-room dining, then just go to drive through and kind of cascaded through that decision-making. And so at first we were tracking COVID reportings in all the different municipalities where we have restaurants. And obviously we have a little over 80, so there was a lot of tracking going on. And relatively quickly, that tracking became overwhelming. And it's here that we get the first lesson of crisis management. Be decisive. Neither Jack or Lori hesitated when faced with big decisions, like shifting completely to drive through A myriad of different municipalities started throwing out rules and, and regulations. And so we eventually just had to kind of give up on that tracking and go just to drive through, let's mask everyone up and just kind of make those those higher level decisions because the, the tactical tracking was getting um, overwhelming. This quick decision-making wasn't lost on Dan Holland. You know, the first couple of weeks of the pandemic touch and go and Jack really pivoted to this off-premise model, not just the drive-through, you know, it's curbside. It's utilizing the third-party delivery companies regularly or more regularly. We're at DEF CON 1, right? So, I mean, Jack reacted very, very quickly to the changes that were taking place daily. That in and of itself and his ability to basically reposition kind of his operating model, so to speak, that was huge to manage through this. Another thing that Jack and Lori learned is that surviving COVID was a team effort. It's crucial to have the right partners and to develop trust before you're in that crisis moment. We've talked in prior shows about the importance of developing an actual relationship with a bank, not treat as a commodity, but having that relationship so that if things go a little sideways, you have somebody that's actually interested in looking at it a couple of different ways rather than just, it doesn't fit the four corners and sorry, we can't help you out. It's one of those deals where we have such a good relationship that I really don't even have to worry about it. It's just a comfort to know, even when we're looking at potential work and whatnot, you know, it's not a worry like, can we afford it or how are we going to cover it? We know we've got cadence there. And that trust goes both ways. Just ask Robert Curtis. More than anything, the longer you've been together, I think you've really developed that natural connection and bond with the customer. Does it make it easier when there's a tough time or you know, a bump in the road, does it make it easier to give that client the benefit of the doubt? Absolutely. I think businesses go through cycles and, you know, time and again, we've, we've known that there's ups and downs along the way. And so when you've been with someone for 10 and 12, 13 years, you've seen the way they've handled those. And it certainly gives you a level of confidence, but you know the character of the people you're working with and you anticipate to a great degree the needs that they'll have. And because you're in constant communications in a good and strong relationship, it's easy to pivot and help them in whatever way that they need you. 
Sometimes it takes having a bad business relationship to show you the value of a good one. When I look at our sales graph from 2020, when the pandemic hit in March, it's almost like somebody took a hatchet and just put a big dip into our sales line, like down 45%. And when, when all of that was happening and sales everywhere were just falling off a cliff, I remember we had a, one vendor, a lawyer, who was working on a site and we had, you know, in the normal course of that project, built up a few thousand dollars and they called and they wanted immediate payment on that which was frustrating because, you know, we're in the depths of the pandemic and, you know, we have to think very carefully about cash management and how we're going to get our business through this. But that's not how Cadence was. Cadence understood the broader context of what was going on, understood that it was literally unprecedented territory, understood that cash management and keeping the doors open and getting as many team members into the restaurants to service as many guests as possible was the overriding priority because they don't think about it transactionally. I think they think about the relationship and the long-term value. So I think they having a partner who understood the, the business and understood the context was uh, mission critical for us. It's trust, right? That's key to, I think, any relationship. Knowing, you know, that Jack is going to do whatever it takes to make sure that these restaurants are going to continue to operate, right? And when you run a complex business like Jack's, having vendors that understand the nuances can make a huge difference. The fact that Caden's restaurant team understands the franchise restaurant model so well you know, we have an operating entity and we have a real estate entity and Cadence is involved in, in both sides of that. And, you know, a lot of lenders, I venture to say almost all lenders allowed folks to go to an interest only mode for a little bit. But Cadence also allowed us to preserve cash in our operating entity and, and not pay rent to our real estate entity because they knew us well and they knew that we had cash reserves uh, in the real estate entity. And, you know, frankly, they trusted us that we were going to continue to make those payments. And those are things that can only happen when you have, you have the right partners. In a crisis, you have to get creative. And that means using every resource available to you. The Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP, was an important lifeline for a lot of businesses. Cadence was processing PPP loan applications, and for a period, it was all hands on deck to help clients through the process. A full quarter of our staff, almost 400 people, worked nights and weekends to process nearly 4,000 loans, totaling over $1 billion. Robert Curtis was among the bankers that shifted their beat to PPP. From our standpoint, the first thing we were doing was trying to learn more and more about how PPP was going to work. So for the next several months, we spent evenings, weekends, countless hours going into the system, working with our customers, helping them find the, the application link. And then from that point, I myself personally was in, involved in the uh, review of the applications for approval, the processing of the PPP loans, closing the loans, funding the loans, and then ultimately at the end of the process, helping with the forgiveness applications. Through that process, I was able to reach out to and provide 
uh, guidance and comfort to a lot of people by phone and by email all over the Cadence Bank footprint. Wildwood wasn't in dire straits, but in a crisis, things can change in an instant. So when PPP funding became available, Lori decided to apply. We thought, well, look, we're still working. Do we really need to even apply for it? But then there was that, the financial uncertainty. Would we keep working? We didn't know. Well, you know, it was early on and so far so good, but we just, we didn't know what was down the line. Jack also got resourceful, leaning on the guidance and reach of his franchisor Hardee's to get the tools he needed to protect his employees. Since we're in the restaurant business, we have high standards of cleanliness to begin with. And that, frankly, is is one of the areas where having a franchisor partner was absolutely critical because they have line of sight access to and, frankly, leverage with suppliers. So recall that when this first hit, masks were very hard to get a hold of, gloves were very hard to get a hold of, toilet paper was something that we as consumers had a hard time getting a hold of. You know, frankly, we didn't have a lot of those shortages because Hardee's and their supply chain team did a phenomenal job of, again, staying in close contact with what the situation was, anticipating what was going to be needed in the restaurants and and scouring uh, the four corners of the world to get it to us in a timely and cost-effective manner. I had forgotten that toilet paper disappeared off the shelves in grocery stores for a while, but that wasn't something that was an issue in the restaurants. Uh, And getting masks wasn't something that was an insurmountable issue in the restaurants because we had such a great franchisor partner. Perhaps the biggest reason Lori and Jack's businesses remained strong throughout the pandemic was communication and trust between partners, clients, and crucially, employees. I think listening to the team and ironically kind of following the lead of the general managers was absolutely critical because I mentioned when it first started, we had this tracking mechanism and this green, amber, red protocol. But at the end of the day, nobody knows the situation of a particular restaurant better than that general manager. And if you're going to trust them with a a small business effectively, then you have to be willing to trust their judgment as it relates to what's best for their restaurant and what's best for their team. And so from the beginning, we've been ears open to what the general managers need to do, obviously putting some boundaries on it to keep sight of the overall business and our overall objectives. But they have been great about navigating the pluses and minuses to, hey, what's good for the business, what's good for the team, and what's good for the customers. Definitely trust is key, both between relationships like this, but also within the organization. We trusted our general managers and district managers and trusted our franchisor. And you you can't run a business and you certainly can't steer a business through an uncertain environment without trust and relationships. It's certainly brought the spotlight to communication. And with the pandemic, we were in constant communication with our clients, in particular with franchisors, with other constituents. To me, that just really accentuated that, that communication is paramount, certainly between your banker and investor partner. 
and, you know, the companies that you're banking, you know, especially when times get, I mean, not even when times get tough, just have an open dialogue whenever, right? You know, because like I said, we are partners with our clients and that helps you manage through the most difficult times. Those are great lessons there. I know in communication, I you know, have a run asset management and trust team here at the bank. And basically I tell people that at the times you, you don't want to talk to a client, the market's down, there's a hiccup on something. Those are the times you have to communicate even more. And that's you know, very counterintuitive to people. That when times are tough and maybe they're having trouble making a loan payment, they usually want to ignore their banker as much as they can. And really that communicating and, uh, and letting people know what's going on just makes things flow so much easier. Communication was also critical for Wildwood as they adapted to the pandemic. It's listening to your employees, to their concerns. We have some employees that chose to wear masks, some that didn't want to, and that type of thing. And we just wanted to make it comfortable for them. But I think it's about just listening to what their concerns are, because sometimes it's a minor change. And then it lets their employee, your employees know that you really care about their feelings. We want to hear the feedback, and we want to know, you know what we can do to help them. Right alongside communication was appreciation. One way Lori made sure her employees felt heard and appreciated was with food. One of the things we did initially was we decided we would bring grab-and-go lunches in. We were trying to reduce the traffic and people being having me close to each other in the break room. Even prior to that, we relaxed our work schedule to where lunch and break, typically we have one every two hours and everybody kind of breaks at the same time. So we gave our employees the option to sort of shift it. You get your two 15-minute breaks a day and you get your lunch break. Take it when you want. And then that way, we were just trying to keep the traffic down at the coffee pot and and that type of thing. And that worked really well. So then we decided, well, to keep the traffic at the microwave. And we were just trying to think of places where people were on top of each other, sort of. So we decided, well, we'll just bring in lunch. Wildwood's decision had ripple effects with their staff and their broader business community. The other effect of this that we didn't really think about originally was the businesses around us where we normally do go to lunch were struggling because nobody was in the office. So we were able to um, help them. And we got some really good feedback, like, thank you so much. You know, you're ordering 50 lunches. It was a little challenge, but we uh, we did that for actually two months. And our employees got very used to it, and they liked it. And, and we uh, kind of got down to where on Mondays we do this, and on Tuesdays we do this. We kind of streamlined it, but it worked out very well. And even if you're an ambitious company, in a crisis, you just have to acknowledge that surviving is a win. We do have to have goals and we have to have things that we're attempting to achieve. But um, one of our goals, I guess, is be here next year. (laughs) So we're always, you know, ahead trying to uh, look forward and see what's coming. Once I turned 50, I adopted a similar strategy. I opened my eyes in the morning and I'm like, (laughs) yay! I got another one. Yeah, so it's the little things once you hit 50. As states began to reopen, so too did Jack's restaurants. The general managers who are closest to their communities and know their customers were really the driving force for the initial openings. Like we do a lot of things. We, we hear what they're saying and then we test it. And we followed their lead. And onesie and twosies, we began to reopen them when and if a general manager would raise their hand and, and ask to open their dining room again. Hardy's is a brand that's um, very breakfast-centric. And we had a lot of, I kind of call them my board of directors, where they're a group of 
older folks that'll sit in the restaurant and, you know, when I come in, they'll tell me all of the things that the board of directors in that particular <laughs> restaurant would like us to do. Right. And so it was kind of those groups that, that led the general managers, Hey, I want to get that back. I want to get those folks back into the restaurants. So that's what drove it. So that's that sense of community and feeling like it's something that people needed. You couldn't stay stuck in your house uh, forever. COVID was a trial by fire. It forced companies to innovate. And some of those innovations have become common practice as we've adopted a new normal. I mean, our facility is very clean. It has to be anyway to work on, we're working on product that goes to space and that type of thing. So you have FOD, which is dust, foreign object debris that we have to be very careful about. So we upped our sanitization, focused even more on places, the touch points, time clocks, doorknobs. You know, we have them cleaned every day. I think there's a benefit there. I think we had less flu, you know, so we're going to continue those, some of the cleaning protocols. One of the things we did, and our, our team definitely loved this, we have a very relaxed In the production side, it's a very relaxed dress code. It's casual. They wear jackets over their shirts or whatnot. We've always imposed that our administrative staff, you know, even as a small business, we try to keep a professional look, sort of a a business casual. Someone brought to my attention when we said, um, you know, we're not going to have outside people. They said, we're going to be Friday casual, Monday through Friday. (laughs) So, So we relaxed our dress code. And I know one thing, I've already said this, when this is completely over, we always had Friday casual, but we're going to have Monday casual. So I'm just going to tell you, Monday morning is the hardest day of the week to get up and go to work. And it was refreshing to know you could throw on jeans and a sweatshirt (laughs) and be comfortable. Phase Three Star found that COVID thrust their business into the future. The silver lining of COVID was that it, it did accelerate some trends that had been existent in the restaurants before COVID. So third party delivery was something that we were testing and making sure that we could make work prior to COVID. COVID absolutely accelerated that, and that's become a material and growing part of our business. Our digital engagement with with our customers was something that was in the cradle at the beginning of COVID and has now begun to blossom because of COVID. And more broadly, because there is this ongoing labor shortage, there's just an acceleration of investment in capital that can sort of alleviate some of the the labor issues. So those are kind of three silver linings that that emerge in part and largely due to COVID. We're investing in artificial intelligence and testing AI at the drive-thrus. And if you had told me in 2015 that in 2022 there would be AI in restaurant and fast food drive-thrus, I wouldn't even known what AI was. I, I probably wouldn't have been able to spell AI, but <laughs> it's now something that a lot of brands are looking at very closely because our biggest challenge is getting team members into the restaurants and anything that can that we can do to help facilitate an interaction with the guests is something that we have to look closely at. And for bankers like Dan and Robert, as they emerge from the pandemic, they see battle-tested companies that are stronger and more resilient than they were pre-COVID. The challenges are still there, but the operators, our clients, our restaurant clients are so much better prepared today you know, than they were initially. But all the changes that they implemented are so relevant today because you know this 
lingering effect of the pandemic and COVID, right? That's going to probably be with us for a while, but they're not having to make those same adjustments that they did early on in the pandemic. It takes all of us to stay successful and be successful. And so that's really where I like to focus our attention. And though COVID isn't over yet, Wildwood is turning their eyes to the skies once again. During this year and into next year, the Artemis One mission will be headed back. The SLS rocket will be going back to the moon. We were talking about that the other day. I was a very, very, very young child. <laughs> the first time Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, must have got, some of y'all weren't even there. But we realized they haven't walked on the moon since 1972. So being a part of this mission and what's going to happen in the next year, year and a half, we're pretty excited just to be a part of that team. So we're kind of excited about that. COVID was, fingers crossed, a once-in-a-lifetime event. But crisis can hit a business at any time. So what is there to learn from the past several years? For Jack and Lori, it's meant being decisive, cultivating strong relationships, and creating open lines of communication. And for Robert and Dan, I think it brought into focus the importance of trust and having partners you can count on, no matter what challenges you face. If you follow that blueprint, you'll be ready for whatever the world throws at you. Big thank you to Jack Kemp of Phase 3 Star and Lori Underwood of Wildwood Electronics for sharing their stories. You can learn more about both companies in the show notes of this episode. And of course, thanks to Cadence Bank's very own Robert Curtis and Dan Holland, who've guided so many businesses through this difficult time. In Good Companies is a podcast from Cadence Bank, member FDIC, equal opportunity lender. Sheena Cochran is our production coordinator. Our executive producer is Danielle Cornell, with writing and production from Andrew Gannam and sound design and mixing by Alex Bennett at Lower Street Media. I'm your host, Patrick Pacheco. If you've made it this far and you got something out of the episode, why don't you go out and give us a five-star rating in your podcast app? It's the best thing you can do to help the show grow and reach more people. And join us next week because when you're with us, we're in good companies. This podcast is provided as a free service to you and is for general informational purposes only. Cadence Bank makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, completeness, or timeliness of the content in the podcast. The podcast is not intended to provide legal, accounting, or tax advice and should not be relied upon for such purposes. To the extent that this podcast includes predictions about the economy, these predictions are subject to a number of variables and you should confer with your legal, accounting, and tax advisors for their input regarding the possible outcomes of any economic subject matter discussed herein.